Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is Season 8 of the podcast. I'm pleased to welcome back a veteran of this program. He's here for an encore appearance to tell us all about a new book that he's released. He's the one and only Dave Chase, and he joined us way back on episode 18. You may remember that Dave was the CEO and co-founder of Avado, which was acquired by and integrated into WebMD and Medscape. While he was named one of the most influential people in digital health due to his entrepreneurial success, his speaking, and his writing— More recently, he's been a co-founder of Health Rosetta, which is an organization that helps accelerate the adoption of simple, practical, nonpartisan fixes to our healthcare system. Dave is the author of a new book entitled The Opioid Crisis Wake-Up Call. Now, we all know that the healthcare systems around the world are under immense pressure. Dave has identified dozens of organizations that are working well, and it's his mission to share these stories and to help others replicate those fixes across different areas of the country and around the world. Now, in this episode, we dive into a couple of the examples contained within his book. Again, it's called The Opioid Crisis Wake-Up Call. It's full of real-world examples of how people are actually implementing fixes in healthcare, and it shows us what we can learn from that and how we can employ that in our own areas. I highly recommend that you read this book, and in fact, Dave actually tells you how you can get a copy of this book for free at the end of the episode, so be sure to stay tuned for that. You can get all the links on our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash Dave Chase 2. That's all lowercase Dave Chase, no spaces or hyphens, and the number 2, Dave Chase 2. When you're there, you can also find a link to the first episode Dave did with us back on episode 18. Now let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with Dave Chase. Dave, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the program. Looking forward to our chat. Thanks for the opportunity. Dave, let's start off and talk about what you've been up to since your last appearance here on the show. You joined us in early 2017, so it's been about 18 months that have gone by. What have you been up to in that time? Yeah, a lot. So I actually published two books, um, You know, one that just came out, The Opioid Crisis Wake-Up Call. Launched a Basically, with my last book, we launched an organization and a certification around that called the Health Rosetta. And uh, in that time, pretty tremendous progress. We have, if you look at the folks that we certified, uh, we now have 4 million lives represented in those folks. And so that, you know, if we were a single employer, you know, that would make us bigger than three Walmarts or, you know, four Amazon Berkshire, JP Morgans, which, you know, it's been in the news lately. Um, So, you know, very happy about that progress, you know, long ways to go, uh, but a nice start. Well, let's dive into the book first. I got my copy. I downloaded it the other day. I've started to read through it. Why this book? Why this topic and title? And why now? Good question. Um, certainly, the opioid crisis, particularly in the in the U.S., although Canada's virtually similar situation, uh, unfortunately, um, is in what many call the largest public health crisis in a hundred years in the U.S. If you measure it by a number of uh, deaths. So 72,000 drug overdose deaths. And that's greater than polio. That's greater than HIV AIDS. That's greater than motor vehicle accident deaths. Uh, that is about the same as the number of U.S. citizens who died during the entirety of the Vietnam War. So it's really a disaster. But unlike 
something like polio or HIV AIDS, this is a self-inflicted wound by their healthcare system. And as I say, it, it is an anomaly. It is our healthcare system. And so the point being, if we don't look at it as a systemic problem, we will never get out of this mess. And so that's really what I get into and how there is a silver lining to this in that because it's such a wake-up call, it's so bad, it's getting so much attention that the silver lining is when you solve the opioid crisis, you actually go a very long ways towards solving the even larger healthcare dysfunction that you know I believe is the greatest immediate threat to the US and maybe by extension of the world. So pretty big statement, but uh, I get into that uh, in the book in, in some detail and, and believe it's a very fact-based statement. You've been in this game for a number of years, and I'm always really enthused and recharged by your optimism. We've all heard that healthcare is broken, and a common refrain that many people say to that is that it's not broken, it was actually made this way. But you actually flip all that on its head, and you say that healthcare is actually already fixed, and that we just need to replicate the fixes. Tell me about that perspective. How can you say that it's already fixed when we know we have so many problems? Yeah, it's both a a true statement and aspirational statement. And so what I mean in terms of the true side of it is in, you know, particularly focusing on the the states for right now, but it's not really limited to the states, uh, but that's been most of our focus lately, is whether we're talking rural, urban, private sector, public sector, you know, large, small, you name it, there's folks all over the country that actually, if you replicated what they did, you would actually have the best healthcare system in the entire world. Um, and so these are folks who are, you know, one has the tagline, twice the healthcare, half the price, 10 times the delight, you know, which, um, you know, is literally what they're delivering. Um, it's remarkable and it's remarkably straightforward. And so there's, you know, hundreds of these examples, but there needs to be thousands and then millions. And so that's really where the aspirational piece comes in, is if you look at what they've done on a sustained basis with very difficult patient populations in terms of disease burden. Um, so it's not just like, you know, one hit wonder, uh, you know, one year they got lucky. Um, these are people who've been doing it five, 10, and even over 20 years. Just most people don't know about it. When you look at the health outcomes, put aside the money. If you just look at the health outcomes, the impact is bigger than the biggest blockbuster drug ever invented in terms of the improved health outcomes. And so you look at that and say, gee, this is so significant. You know, it would be unthinkable if we had the cure for cancer, or HIV or something like that and didn't share it. And unfortunately, Healthcare's not very, been very good at sharing because the way healthcare is operated, I think, is a legacy of, you know, for obvious reasons, there's an academia influence, you know, because obviously, you know, doctors go to medical school and nurses go to nursing school. And an unfortunate thing, in my view, in academia is they're not good at sharing because, you know, everybody's trying to get their unique published study. And so that's sort of, you know, rippled into the delivery side. And, um, and it's just been remarkable to me how the 
people don't even know about some of these solutions. So I, I just set about fixing that. And, you know, now we have this big movement um, that is saying, this is crazy. Everybody needs to have access to this. It's not more expensive. It's not just for the lead or anything like that. So that's really the, the driver there. You gave some pretty big numbers there at the beginning. So let's talk a little bit about those numbers, those big numbers. Can we also talk about like a specific example? Because sometimes I think when the numbers are so big, that we actually get a little desensitized to the impact this has on a, on a human level. And when I read the preface of your book, you talked about it on a very human level, a very individual level about yep. a friend of yours and the number of people that you lost at a fairly early age, 35 years, you had uh, 10 people who, who you knew who had passed away already at that stage. So can you talk a little bit about those numbers? And then let's talk about the individual impact that these problems have on people. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the individual, and then you know you can uh, steer me towards where you'd like me to provide mm -hmm. some some more numbers. Okay, <clears throat> you know, in terms of the individual piece, um, you know, I am one who is a, a congenital optimist, I suppose, um, and try to find the positive out of you know some really gut wrenching scenarios. As you mentioned, I had several friends die very young. And the last one hit me particularly hard because the system failed her in every way. And she had been a very successful Silicon Valley exec. And uh, she got, uh, you know, basically improper diagnosis, which of course leads to a improper care plan. And by the end, she was, you know, medically, emotionally, uh, and financially devastated. You know, she's a single mom left behind a 10-year-old daughter and the realization was this system that had failed her in every way I'd been a part of. And the way I was raised was, you know, if you see a problem and you don't do something about it, you know, you're complicit. And so that was very motivating to me to say, I've got to figure out a way to solve this problem. And so that's one thing where you look at that and you say, okay, so for me, I was doing the start of my career, what's called revenue cycle management, which is just a fancy term for how do you get as big a bill out as fast as possible and get paid as fast as possible. You know, and one time that was uh, a reasonable thing, you know, a hospital didn't want to forget something it needed to bill and certainly wanted to check all the boxes so it would get paid on time. You know, I don't have a problem with that, but it got to the point where it is now, where it's just arbitrary, it's abusive, and it's absolutely devastating the working and middle class uh, in the US. And that was something that I was like, wow, what I'm working on and what I was working on was making it worse. And the technology that the systems wanted to buy was making it worse. And I was like, I'm not going to be a part of that until I can figure out how to solve it. I basically exited healthcare for a decade. Uh, before I came back and actually had a, a belief that I could, you know, start to crack that code, you know, using some of what I knew. So Dave, the book is full of real world examples and you've really done your homework on this. And it's so great to see this information distilled in this format. I'm really going to encourage people to go and pick up a copy of this book. It's called The Opioid Crisis Wake-Up Call. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Dave's website, healthrosetta.org. We'll of course have links to that on the show notes for this episode as well. But Inside this is packed full of examples. Can you just pick out one or two that sort of uh, distills the it's some of the key takeaways that people should 
uh, should hear about here on the show, and then they can go pick up the book to learn more? Sure. Well, we'll start with a public sector one, which is a, a county uh, around Pittsburgh, where the schools, uh, basically the unions and management had this epiphany about a decade ago that uh, they basically wanted the same thing. They wanted great schools, pe- teachers to be paid fairly, um, smaller class sizes, more librarians. And they realized that they had been on opposite sides of the negotiating table. They realized really they needed to be on the same side and that what was um, essentially stealing resources away from kids and education was healthcare. And so they redesigned their benefits, um, did a lot of analytics around who was delivering value, what was a fair price, um, and then designed the benefits plan around that. And so there's more detail in the book, but the output of that was, you know, a cohort of kindergartners starting in Pittsburgh schools compared to their counterparts in Philadelphia, you know, same state, somewhat similar demographics. They'll have $2 billion more available to them during their K-12 years than their counterparts in Philly. And already that means better pay, smaller class sizes, and, you know, the other things I mentioned. And so that's a great example on the public sector side. Rosen Hotels is an amazing. Let me, let me just uh, stop you there and let's talk about Allegheny a little bit more. So, so those are some big numbers there. So what did they actually do? You said they would want to get on the same side of the negotiation table. They want great things for schools. Yep. Everybody, all the things you listed there are all things that any parent, teacher, principal, anyone is going to want for their schools. What are some things they did and what's going to make the difference in those intervening years from uh, kindergarten to seniors in high school that's going to make so much more money available? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing was they looked at the value equation that the different organizations in that area, in terms of hospitals in particular, were delivering. And there were some high reputation, but candidly low value um, organizations. And they, you know, really scrubbed the numbers and, you know, educated the union members that, you know, kind of boiled down to, okay, we're going to, you know, we'll we'll pay for half of the care here because that's about what it's worth. But uh, if you actually want to have your deductibles and, you know, basically not have the same kind of out-of-pocket hit, you can go here where look at the numbers, higher value, you know, better outcomes and so on. And so it was really good education communication that followed the analytic piece of it. And then it's just, you know, rinse and repeat, do that repeatedly. And, you know, really that alone has been the biggest driver. Now they're working on other things like getting proper primary care in place. So, you know, in a place like Denmark, for example, or some of these employers in the States that are doing it right, they can address 90% of the issues people come into the healthcare system for within a primary care setting. You know, that is not the rule in the U S I mean, in the U S it's just, you know, this kind of drive-by appointments, um, where it's just about referring you to high margin stuff. And so you have to break out of that if you're going to have the better outcomes and save money along the way. Um, so that's really, you know, the essence of what they, they did. And, and sort of from a governance standpoint, they had a committee that's exactly half union, half management that makes decisions. And, you know, it's interesting when you go in there you know, the conventional wisdom is, you know, management's pushing for change and, you know, they have to get the unions to acquiesce. It's actually the other way around. The unions are pushing for it because they want to make sure that their members are getting, you know, properly paid and getting great care and all that. So it's really been a great dynamic. 
That's great. I, I think that in a lot of these examples, the things are just littered with unsung heroes mm-hmm. because it's one thing to talk about Allegheny County and the things that happened there in Pennsylvania. But realistically, we all know it's about people. And there had to be some people there that were driving that. And uh, there may have been two, there may have been a dozen, there may have been a hundred people that were that, that were getting together to drive these things. But what sort of caused that awakening that allowed this group to come together and work collaboratively in this way? Yeah, it's interesting. It's really what they had happen is really what's happening in virtually every school district around uh, the states. I mean, the, the summer, there were all kinds of protests. There continued to be strikes. You know, Bill Gates, he devoted an entire TED Talk to how healthcare is devastating education budgets. The teachers who aren't exceptionally well paid are buying supplies for their classroom and extracurricular programs are getting cut. Class sizes are going up. Um, you know, the, the benefits on the health side, it's just costing teachers more and more. And so really their situation wasn't unique other than basically what you pointed out where, you know, Dave Wyatt was the leader on the union side and Jan Klein on the, the management side. And they got together. It's like, let's, you know, we care about kids. We care about teachers. We care about our community. We got to be able to solve this. Um, and that's what they did. And it's, it's candidly, it's not rocket science. You know, actually, in this climate, especially, it's great to hear these sorts of stories about people, as you said earlier, they're, they were sort of on opposite sides of the table, and they needed to bridge that and work together. And, and, you know, if you certainly look to the American political system, and certainly in Europe as well, we have a lot of finger pointing and name calling and a lot of uh, division being driven. It's great to hear, especially around something as important as education and healthcare these groups are coming together. So uh, you were going to tell us about a second example. Can we go into that one now? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Rosen Hotels is a great private sector example. And it's actually the one that, at least that I'm aware of, has been doing it the longest. For, so for over um, <clears throat> 20 years, they have been doing this. And during that time, if you compare what they have spent on health benefits compared to what a typical um, hotelier in Florida, which is what they are, um, would have spent, they uh, say that they've saved over $315 million. Um, and so what that means is they're spending 55% less per capita on health benefits with literally the best benefits package I've heard of any company anywhere. And I was at Microsoft during their heyday. Um, not only do they have amazing health benefits, but they they use money that would have been um, squandered in healthcare to, you know, very little value. And they've been able to grow their business and not take on a lot of debt. They've gone from 500 employees to 5,000. They've, you know, expanded new hotels. But the most interesting part is for their employees, which are 35% of their employees are, um, Haitian immigrants. Um, you know, this is Florida and, uh, you know, many of whom haven't had access to a formal healthcare system. So there's been all kinds of benefits, but they say, okay, not only this great benefits we can talk about, um, where, you know, great primary care fully paid for and so on. Uh, but they pay for the employees college education or university education after five years of service. And, and then even better after only three years of service, they pay for the employees, kids, college or university education. You know, you can imagine what that does to turnover, um, for the, the employees, people love it. 
We're speaking with Dave Chase, the co-founder of Health Rosetta and author of the new book, The Opioid Crisis Wake-Up Call. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue to focus on the work being done at Rosen Hotels down in Florida. That's coming up after a quick word from our sponsor. Don't go away. All right, we're back with Dave Chase. And Dave, we were just talking about the work that's happening at Rosen Hotels down in Orlando and how they're saving money on their health plans while still providing amazing benefits. In addition to the health care benefits, they're also offering to pay for employees and their children to get university degrees. Now, I remember in the book that it talks about how they're even going beyond their organization and they're actually working to tackle some of the sort of social determinants of health. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, definitely. What they've done is is adopted a nearby formerly crime-ridden neighborhood and they took a less than 5% of what they had saved compared to other organizations and invested in daycare, pre-K, after-school programs. So far they've funded 450 university educations. Crime went down 67% high school graduation rate went from 45% to virtually 100% and you know now they're adopting a neighborhood five times the size to continue that that mission so i mean that's what's possible when you avoid squandering money in healthcare and by the way 40% of the most expensive hospitals in the states are in florida so this is not in an inexpensive state and uh, another little data point to show how this was not a easy situation was 56% of their pregnancies are categorized as high risk. And so despite all of that, they're doing this. So that shows you what's possible. Wow. That, that's really impressive. I'm looking at their website right now, Rosen Hotels and Resorts in Orlando, Florida. When you look at their mission statement, this is not a typical sort of mission statement for a hotel. It sort of closes on talking about providing continuing improvement of the industry and ongoing enhancement of the community. And a lot of those things you listed are just huge benefits and they don't happen accidentally. And again, going back to that point around these unsung heroes, these individuals that have a vision, Harris Rosen is the CEO and, and founder and president of this group. And uh, this is really as a result of, of his commitment. I'm looking at their hotel and I want to make sure that everybody goes and, and books this hotel whenever they go to Orlando, because yeah. this is a great thing to invest in and, and support as a guest or however. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um it's remarkable. I mean, their turnover is one sixth of the um, typical uh, employer in the hotel business, you know, and you can imagine why. And, and, you know, as you, you suggest, you know, stay there. It is obvious people love working there when you stay. Um, you know, they feel, you know, it's like the, the organization cares about them and they care about the organization. And, you know, they know that, uh, they can't all succeed without making it a great experience for their guests. My read on Mr. Rosen is, you know, I think he's quite conservative politically. Yet, you know, you could call some of what he's doing, you know, progressive, you know, in terms of free healthcare and education and stuff like that. And then conversely, you know, the city of Kirkland, I mean, this is former Obama administration members. You look at the design of their health plan and how they use kind of consumerism and health savings accounts and that type of thing, you know, that would be characterized as conservative. So, you know, once people grow up and problem solve, these boundaries, these kind of artificial 
boundaries go away. And I always remind people that, you know, the best way to preserve status quo on anything is to politicize it. And so when you get, you allow yourself to have healthcare get politicized, you are being gamed by the industry that wants no change. And so that's what I like about this movement is, you know, I don't care if it's progressive or conservative. I care about the people and the impact in the country. And that's what most of these folks have, have you know, realized, okay, the Calvary's not coming from DC to fix this for the most part. Um, we have to man and woman up and solve this problem. And it's entirely solvable, you know, when you do it community by community. Yeah, you give a lot of great examples in this book. Thanks very much for sharing those too. I see you've got chapters in here about seven habits of highly effective benefits managers. And uh, what are some of the other things that people should turn to this book to get? What will listeners get when they when they download this book? I would say one of the biggest things, you know, really related to the core of healthcare is primary care. I mentioned primary care over 150 times in the book. And if you look at, you know, the the title of the book being around the opioid crisis, nothing created more fertile ground for the opioid crisis to take hold than our devastated uh, primary care system. And so that's something where there's this very defeatist attitude amongst many about primary care and, oh, you can't fix it. And it's like, well, sure, it took 10 or 20 years to destroy primary care. Um, You bet. It'll probably take 10 or 20 years to fully rebuild it. But what you see in places ranging from Denver to Tyler, Texas, is it getting rebuilt brick by brick. And, you know, the analogy I draw is, you know, how the internet developed. You know, when the internet came along, it wasn't like, oh, commercial browser, the internet was out there, boom, the government laid a bunch of lines and all got magically connected. No, it didn't actually work that way. It started out with, you know, in terms of what ultimately got to spread was, there were local area networks, you know, where people connected, you know, to share a printer or share files. And then, you know, maybe they had more than one office. So there were wide area networks. And so when then the, the um, you know, commercial web came along, um, there was all this infrastructure that then could get networked together. And so that's what we see with when you have in these communities, maybe it's X number of employers are getting proper primary care. You know, like Seattle is getting there. We're pretty much in the whole metropolitan area, you can actually access proper, true primary care. Denver, I'd say there is now, is already there now. Uh, Tyler, Texas is there. And so that's what we need to do. You know, it's it's not this one grand stroke and it's all done, um, but it's not that complicated either. And, and for me, that kind of land way on internet is sort of a good analogy of how you can do it. I'm always inspired, Dave, by hearing you talk, and I really appreciate you writing this book and coming on to talk about it. You can find Dave's book by going to healthrosetta.org. Of course, you can also get it on amazon.com. You can download that directly to your Kindle or get the paperback shipped to your home, and we'll have links to that on our show notes. You can link to those by going to digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash Dave Chase 2. That's Dave Chase, all one word, followed by the number two, and we'll have a link to be able to download and access that. You can also find uh, Dave's TEDx talk entitled Healthcare Stole the American Dream. Here's how we take it back. It really sums up the healthcare's devastation of the middle class and the redemption that's coming through the bottom-up movement. So uh, Dave, you also are doing a lot of work at Health Rosetta. We talked a little bit about it. What should people do to, to get in touch with you there? And what are some of the services that you're offering there? Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of options there in terms of getting 
uh, signed up, you know, so you can plug in and where we're focused right now, although the health Rosetta isn't meant to be employer specific or even us specific. Um, that's the, that's where we're starting. And I sometimes use the analogy of lead where you had like lead certified architects who create, you know, design what became lead certified buildings. And so the architects in healthcare of health plans are in the employer space benefits consultants. And so we have, that's our first certification. That's kind of the tip of the spear for us. And, and so you can learn about, you know, if you are uh, a purchaser of healthcare, like an employer or union, uh, we believe that it would be very remiss not to to hire somebody that's following these type of practices. Uh, unfortunately, the benefits broker, benefits consultant role is probably the most underestimated role in the entire healthcare system and probably by the extension, the U.S. economy, because overwhelmingly, you know, if you're not low income or elderly, you get your benefits for your job in the States. And they're the ones who've designed that. And, you know, we find that the mainstream folks, when the kind of vanguard benefits consultants, benefits advisors go in and clean up uh, after them, there's 17 undisclosed revenue streams and all kinds of problems. They're today's benefits brokers, a lot like the stockbroker of 20, 30 years ago that went the way the dodo bird, you know, the smart ones reinvented themselves as financial and wealth advisors with properly aligned incentives. And so that's what you see is, you know, people always ask me, what's the first thing to do? It's like, you got to hire the right person. Um, because if you don't, the kind of status quo folks are pitching themselves as buyer's agents, but they're actually paid like seller's agents. And that leads to all kinds of conflicts of interest that really uh, pervade the entire healthcare system, unfortunately. And through Health Rosetta, then you're providing this sort of certification where people can get the proper training and exposure of how to how to win, how to do the right things? Exactly. What we've done is we've curated all these folks around the country. Um, you know, first we kind of found the anecdotes and and then uh, some data points. And then you're like, oh, maybe there's enough there. Then you turn that into a best practice. And then we put it out for the, you know, true hardcore experts to tear apart and say, okay, is it meet the the standard, if you will? And then if it does, then we're like, okay, here's how to replicate it, you know, and here's the the certification of benefits consultants is that first example. Uh, but there's a bunch that will follow on that in the coming years. All the listeners, you can find out more about that by going to healthrosetta.org. Healthcare is already fixed. You can join them to help replicate the fixes. Dave, is there anything else you'd like to mention to the guests before I let you go? Well, when you go to the site, um, healthrosetta.org, you can actually download the book for free. Um, you know, we think it's so important. We don't want there to be any barrier. And, you know, maybe you're thinking about buying it. You can try it. You know, we don't really care. You know, just download it, read a chapter, read the whole book, buy it. Don't buy it. Just read it, please. Leave a review on Amazon. Yeah, we definitely appreciate that. All right. Very good. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck with the book and thanks for all the work you're doing. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciated it. That was Dave Chase, the co-founder of Health Rosetta and author of The Opioid Crisis Wake-Up Call. You can get all the links on our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash Dave Chase 2. All one word, lowercase, Dave Chase 2, the number two. 
While you're there on the website, why not take a second to subscribe to our newsletter? You can also find the links to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed this program, I'd love it if you take a minute to rate our show in your favorite podcast app. As always, you can reach out to me directly on dan at digitalhealthtoday.com or on Twitter at healthtechdan. If there's any feedback, ideas, or suggestions for topics you'd like for us to cover, please do get in touch. Thanks for tuning in and for being a part of the Digital Health Today community. I'll speak with you soon in the next episode of Season 8. And until next time, keep on innovating.